Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to episode seven of Time to Shine. Uh, my name's Adrian. I'm also known as Northern Star on Twitter, and I'm joined by my amazing, talented co-host Mike. You flatter me, my friend. It is <laughs> it is so good to be back. Yes, hello everyone. It is me, Mike, also known as the Buried Truck, back for some more uh, Shining Time magic, of course. The magic never stops. Never, there's just something about this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder, at what point are we going to completely run that joke into the ground? It'll happen at some point. Maybe our viewers will uh, leave very frustrated comments. I'm sure they will. And you know what? It's going to be me who does it, because I, I just can't stop myself. I know, I know. We are endlessly enthusiastic and corny, and it just keeps on flowing. So we are we are continuing down our journey of season one. So last time when uh, you joined us, we did episodes two and three of season one, and now we're going to do a couple more. And it, Mike, it just feels like it keeps getting better as it goes on. I. Just as I'm like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, oh, this is better. Yeah, I really get that vibe throughout all of season one. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's literally, I, I'm yeah. picturing in my mind the sequence of the episodes in season one. And it never feels like, in terms of the quality of the show, it never feels like it stops or like takes a step back from what you saw before. Like, it, it's always building a little bit more and more. And by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, man. This is such a satisfying viewing experience. Exactly. And not to use a freight train analogy, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> it, fe- it feels like, because it's the perfect place to do it, it feels like, you know, we started with episode one. The train was pulling out of the station. It was a great start. It was exciting. We had a lot to see, a lot to take in. And as the train is picking up speed and going from station to station, you're noticing more and more. And you watch the series gain momentum and... The actors get more comfortable in their roles. You see Shining Time begin to sort of have these little routines and things that happen. And it starts to build its own lore. And Mm -hmm. it really, I feel like that's where the magic of it comes in. Because it takes on a bit of a world of its own. And I think that's probably what drew kids in. Is because once you start it, it just kind of keeps going. And it has this very uh, natural flow that I think happens when you have kind of the right ingredients mixed all together and then things can just grow flourish on their own that's yeah that's my very large convoluted metaphor for how i feel season one (laughs) is (laughs) well no i mean you're you're completely right like there's really it's got the perfect combination of elements that all you know independently but also cohesively grow together because you've got the live action segments in the station You've got the jukebox band and the music that just keeps getting better and better all the time. You've got, you know, the stuff in the picture machine or the anything tunnel, which is always interesting. And then, of course, you have, you know, the constantly evolving and growing world of, you know, Thomas and all the other engines on the island of Sodor. And there's always something new to behold in every single aspect of the show. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh it's a treat and I think they I think they did a good job at just integrating season 1 of Thomas right into Shining Time. Uh, the, you get to kind of learn along with the characters and their arcs and I think 
we really see that in these two episodes with James, the James stories, um, which I, I actually quite enjoy in these episodes. Me too. And and that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I did notice that when, especially when I first watched it too. And definitely in the first episode, we're going to be talking about the integration of the Thomas stories into the plot. Yes. You wouldn't think like they'd be able to, to really tie it together all that well, but very cleverly, they uh, they do just that. So they do, uh, and we will we will get right into that. For those of <laughs> for for those very astute listeners, uh, Mike's clever pun of tie it together hints at a very big theme in one of these episodes. So just uh, keep I'm going to be in completely mind. honest with you. I that was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only reason I noticed it is because I accidentally. <laughs> wrote it down myself and then in brackets i wrote like <laughs> pun intended so i'm just that corny sorry <laughs> anyway. we are on the same wave like my friend this is why this podcast is such a success <laughs> i apologize for our endless silliness but without further ado let's get into episode four oh. Now that's what I call a broken clock. This episode is called Pitching In and Helping Out. And I'm going to give a little summary for y'all who haven't seen it. But again, if you haven't, please go and have a watch. It's a lovely 22 minutes. So basically, we start with Stacy trying to fix the big station clock. So she's up there, and she has a really humorous exchange with Schemer, which I really enjoy. The kids come in, <laughs> and <laughs> yes, the kids come in, and they're asking Stacy about what she's doing, and they end up learning about string and the many uses of string, uh, which is sort of where our tie-in pun comes from. And they also learn about the importance <laughs> of helping other people, which is demonstrated in especially the first Thomas story, and Mr. Conductor kind of helps lean them into that moral a little bit. And then we have just on that theme of helping others, Matt and Tanya and Catter Harry in his workshop, trying to fix the old shining time station trains from here to everywhere sign. And uh, he's trying to do it with solder and it's not working. And I love, they suggest string and he's like string. That's the ticket. Like he's never thought of it before. <laughs> like genius. <laughs> um, oh man. And then uh, kind of fittingly at the end, they finally end up helping schemer with very begrudgingly with the help encouragement of Stacy because schemer is having difficulty with his shoelaces. Excuse me. He's not tying them <laughs> properly and his shoes keep falling off. And so Stacy says, he's going to be grumbling about his shoes forever. Come on. And they decide to give him the string. And he's so touched by that. He gives them the holy kettle that he was trying to sell to Stacy at the beginning, which then becomes a flower pot for the string flowers. So it's a very nice full circle. Um, and they end up fixing the clock at the end, uh, much to everyone's happiness. And it's a big cheer that kind of closes us out into the theme song. Yes, indeed. So that's the basic gist. There's more little details that we'll get into. But for me, this this is actually one of my favorite season one episodes. And it's funny because as I was like Mm -hmm. looking at the title and stuff and going to watch it, I was like, I really hope this is the one I'm thinking of. And it was where it starts off with that great Stacy schemer banter. (laughs) He's like trying to auction off his his uh, tea kettle. 
And uh, yeah, it, this, like I said, it's where the the show feels like it's hitting its stride on a whole new level. Their banter is getting really fun and I can see them sort of probably improving a bit. Um, I like the oh, angle yeah. of Stacy being up high on the ladder and then looking down at Schemer. And there's just something, I always <laughs> loved that beginning to the episode. It always made me laugh. Symbolizing the levels of intelligence, perhaps. <laughs> no, yeah, probably. <laughs> and when she's like, you think you throw it out, there's a hole in the bottom. And he's like, that's so you can pour two cups of tea at once. <laughs> uh, like, oh, that's just, it's really lovely. Um yeah. It is. What are what are some of your first thoughts on this one, Mike? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. It's just such a lovely episode. It feels very um I mean, it's weird to say this because a, a good majority of Shining Time Station feels this way, but there's something about this episode that feels very slice of life to me. Like there's not really any, you know, big problems or high stakes that are you know, needing to be tended to or things that need to be solved. It's just the kids are figuring out what to do with some string that they found. And <laughs> along the way, they just so happen to, you know, help Harry and help Schemer at the end. And, uh, you know, it's just it feels like a very just a very calm episode. And I think they probably needed that. Not that the earlier episodes were anything high stress or you know, overstimulating or any means, but you've had a string of episodes where you're really working on introducing characters and you're making the viewers feel comfortable with the world that they're trying to settle into. Yes. It's just nice to have a, an episode that really dials it back from, I mean, let's be honest with, with shining time on a scale of one to one to 10, it's usually at like a five. Uh, it's, it's never too, too crazy or too stressful, but yeah. I feel like this episode really dials back, to like a like a two like yeah. it's it's a very fun carefree kind of episode and uh you know as you talked about adrian like the part with harry gosh I, I, we should start a counter how many times i gush about how much i love harry in season one but <laughs> honestly like it's just it's so fun because you've got the case of you know the hard-working railroad man who's you know, using a tried and true method of trying to fix a sign. It's not working for him. And it's just taking the kids saying, Hey, why don't you try this? And yeah. going right back to basics to solve it. And you see the excitement in his voice when he's like, there's a solution. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> that was staring me right in the face the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. And just the, the satisfaction there. And the other thing that I really love about season one as a whole, but especially the early episodes is kind of how you kind of see Stacy evolve from, you know, wanting to kind of do everything on her own, you know, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that she's a, a, you know, she feels like she's a competent station master. She can do things and take charge without necessarily needing the help of others. But over time, she, you know, very easily comes to terms with the fact that she's got people around her who will help her yeah. and should help her when she needs it. And I love the little exchange about midway through when uh, she gets Mr. Conductor to help her find the oil can. And, oh, I love that. You know, they've got that little exchange. Yeah. They've got that little exchange where he's like, the oil can isn't over there. And she's like, don't tell me where it is. And then finally she's like, okay, okay, tell me where is it? <laughs> uh, that's and one that's of my favorite exchanges. Cause like you think about, yeah, and you think about like season two and three, like with when George comes on as Mr. Conductor, yeah. and 
you know, I mean, they have a lovely little on-screen relationship, but I don't think that the dynamic she has with George as Mr. Conductor is as interesting in that regard as with Ringo's Mr. Conductor, because it almost feels like there's a bit of like a like a brother sister like kind of combative yeah, relationship it's, it's kind of, of like you know yeah they like they they're kind of playful and they like tease each other yeah. a little bit more i love and i love just, what she yeah, says that, like that, that scene is fantastic how did you know i was looking for the oil just a lucky guess <laughs> just a lucky guess <laughs> and the, and the, at the end when she when she is like you know he he suggests going to look under the ticket booth and then he sort of points at her and winks and disappears. They just have a, they do mm-hmm. have a really good uh, chemistry. I think the two of them, which yeah. is surprising considering yeah, they're not actually that. looking at each other. She's looking at a doll exactly. or a piece of tape. And, uh, but I do know that they would in season one, they would sometimes throw each other lines. So maybe Dee, Dee was throwing Ringo lines when he was doing his green screen bits. Cause there is good chemistry. And that's, yeah, that was the thing I was going to say is like, you know, with, season one Ringo was still even when he wasn't recording his scenes he was still on set and mm-hmm. they would toss those lines back and forth whereas I did George ever actually was he on set with any of the other actors or did he, did he just worry about recording his stuff separately uh it was typically separate uh I know that yeah that Dee, Dee lamented that she didn't get to see him all that much I think there was some overlap though for sure uh but most of the time it was pretty separate. And I know George's schedule was very hectic uh, sure, at that yeah. time because he was doing multiple other things. He was still doing shows and stuff. I know Ringo was busy, but he seemed pretty full on devoted to Shining Time when he did it. Yeah. And you have to wonder if, you know, maybe if George wasn't as busy, if he had more time to be on set, would we have seen something similar or a variation on that sort of relationship? But, you know, it's it's, it's fun true. to think about, but it's it's yeah. present here for sure. And it's a lot of fun to watch yeah. and you know, you just kind of giggle whenever Stacy and Mr. C are going at it. Yeah, totally. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said comfortable and slice of life, because I think the slice of life ones, I think that's what I was trying to hint at when I was talking before about the end of, uh, I think it's the third episode where they play Wabash Cannonball. Uh, yep. And Stacy and Schemer have that little banter and she's and mm-hmm. uh, she scares him. Like that, and she's just like at the desk writing away. It really does feel like you're just getting a little peep into the station as it's just going. And it's nice because it doesn't feel like there has to be like a circus or a this, or it's just like this episode. They're basically, she's just trying to fix the clock and it's sort of central to the plot, but not really like, yeah, she's trying to find the oil and, but it's not life or death. Like you say, it's not like JB King is coming to inspect the clocks and, <laughs> and Stacy has to exactly. fix it on time. She just says, well, you know, the, you know, if the passengers need to see the clocks so that they can know when their trains are going to leave. That's pretty important. But um, it gives lots of meandering room for Matt and Tanya to do crafts. And, and yes, I think that's, I think it's enjoyable as a viewer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, having episodes like this make it even more impactful when, you know, we're jumping a little bit ahead, but towards the end of season one, when you've got the threat of the station being closed down yeah. for the first time. I mean, those episodes, the the two-parter, they're, they're very intense episodes by comparison to the rest of the season. And I think having quieter, more calm episodes like this one really heightens that sense of like, oh, this is 
this is serious stuff we're dealing with here. That's a good point, because these are kind of lulling episodes. You forget that this railroad does rely on its success. Or, sorry, this railroad station relies on its success as an individual station. So, you know, yeah, we become more aware of that. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, There was one other piece I was going to bring in, and that was uh, just along the lines of Ringo and, and... uh stacy their banter i love ringo's rhyming Mm -hmm. in this when he says it's time to share a carrot with my parrot and my spaghetti needs stretching (laughs) it's just so weird and random and fun and he's dressed i think he's dressed as like a little chef because he's making lunch uh that's right right mike you'll have to help each other with that i'm afraid now, please excuse me for a minute. There's my house. I must go in it. It's time to share a carrot with my parrot. And my spaghetti needs stretching. Yeah, he's got his little uh, his little chef's hat on. Yeah. He's got his uh, he's got his spoons, which he, spoons. he uses to somehow start the Thomas story. Yeah. <laughs> which is magical. And also, we have our Ringo Sings segment. This is Ringo Drums. <laughs> <laughs> yes this is it this is the first ringo drums and i i don't know if you remember this mike but on youtube ages back you could somebody uploaded us a little segment of this clip saying ringo star drumming on shining time station and it was just him yes. with his spoons drumming on the wood oh yeah i remember that you remember that yeah yeah <laughs> oh classic um and also, we get some classic schemer slapstick at the end, too, with the falling, with the shoelaces. Of and, course. Which we see of as course. a theme that kind of builds on. But I feel like each character is sort of getting, they're really, they've got their trademark things now. Um, that is established, and we can just kind of watch and enjoy that. Yeah, I agree. We're definitely starting to settle more into, like, the the usual beats of the characters that we'll see pop up more and more throughout the later episodes. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the Thomas stories overall, Mike? I I have to say, I really love these two stories. I mean, they're classics. Um, But I do love, again, going back to how they kind of structured the first season of Shining Time and how the first, you know, half or, you know, give or take half of the first season follows the episodes in sequential order. It's kind of nice that, you know, it's almost like a reward for keeping up with the series. Yes. The first episode we've got here is Thomas and the Breakdown Train, uh, or Thomas Saves the Day for our North American friends. And, uh, you know, this is the final story in in Thomas's little arc from his first Railway Series book. Yes. And we got, you know, the the two major stories from the last episode. So it's kind of nice. It's like, you know, kids tuning in will be like, oh, hey, I remember from the last episode that this is where you know thomas was and he was supposed to be learning how to handle the trucks better mm-hmm. uh so i i really like that about you know the way that they structured which episodes or which thomas stories rather were going in which shining time episode yeah uh and again we're, we're going to get another sort of cliffhanger because your second story this episode is uh james and the coaches slash james learns a lesson yes uh which Again, there's resolution of some sort, but not totally. There's still yeah. more of James's story to go, yes. which you'll have to tune into the next Shining Time episode to watch or, you know, find it on TV or VHS, whatever it may be. But yeah. anyways, um, these are both really wonderful stories, obviously. Um, 
such crucial stories in setting up the uh the foundations of these classic characters that would go on to be the stars of the show really yes um yeah and and again the way that they're integrated into uh the shining time story itself is really well done it's flawless you know you've got I think it's it one really of the best is. integrations, yeah, you... actually, of of some of the Thomas stories. I was I noted that too when I watched this. Yeah, there because there are some Shining Time episodes, you know, especially when we get into like season two and three, yeah. um, where it's I'm, I I listen to the introduction and I'm like, well, that's kind of a stretch. It's, but yeah, whatever, it's totally you know? shoehorned, <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> yeah, we could have workshopped that one a little more, guys, but. Uh, um, no here it's done so well like you know it's as simple as matt helps tanya out of you know her fingers are tangled when she gets to she tries to do cat's cradle and all it takes is mr c saying oh you're helping each other out well that's what thomas did for james let me tell you about it and then of course you've got you know what can we do with the string oh Mm -hmm. well they use that to mend a train on the island of sodor yeah and you know it's just i really appreciate that when when they make it feel like it's such a seamless blend, it makes all the difference. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think my theory as to why that blending is so good in season one and two in particular is um, I recently acquired, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, a bunch of Shining Time Station. Well, actually, the whole series of Shining Time Station scripts, several drafts of each, and the Thomas stories for season one, two, and a few drafts from season three. And what also came in that package were episode outlines, which specifically focused on how to integrate the Thomas stories thematically into each Shining Time Station episode. And uh, not all the ones that they sort of suggested for season one were used. Some of them were used for season two, but they went through, you know, each pairing of Thomas stories, teased out the themes and then built from what I can see built the Shining Time episodes around that, given that this was a vehicle for Thomas. And I think that's mm-hmm. why that was so smooth, those transitions. And I think as they got to season three, they were waiting for new season three episodes as well, which should also have been in season two of Shining Time. But they also, I think, kind of shoved some older stories into those episodes. That's how it feels to me anyway. And I didn't find similar outlines as season one in particular and most of season two had so interesting mm-hmm. little theory time with adrian oh we love a little theory we really do <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of these uh these thomas stories in particular love them uh, uh thomas yeah. and the big breakdown train has always been a favorite of mine not only because it, iconic it's iconic because thomas gets his branch line at the end but you have one of the best i would say uh accidents in the mm-hmm. in the series you don't see it, which is actually okay, I think, but it's so suspenseful with James screeching through the yard with his with his wheels actually sparking on screen mm-hmm. to simulate that, you know, break block break block fire. Wow, that is hard to say. Okay. <laughs> say that five times fast. Go. <laughs> break block fire. Break oh, oh no, no, I lost it already. <laughs> Uh, but I always enjoyed it. And as a kid, it was such a triumphant episode because you get to see Thomas helping James and, and, and making him feel happy again, but you get to see Thomas being rewarded with his branch line. And, and, and then that just ushers in a beautiful series of stories. Uh, 
from season one. So that's a treat. And I also, I like the James stories in season one. I know that they get a lot of flack, especially that mm-hmm. particular book by the Rev, because uh, apparently it was his least favorite book and he was pressured to mm-hmm. write it and so on and so forth. But I think, interestingly, that these four Thomas episodes from the two Shiny Time episodes we're discussing today all tie in very well thematically with each other. And I was just thinking about James a little bit. He's kind of like a young buck character. He's got that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that really enthusiastic but kind of reckless energy. And I think that's great because kids have a lot of that energy naturally. And what we're seeing here is in the next episode that the kids kind of do stumble into something before they're ready. And I mm-hmm. think that is something that James would do and has done. Yes. So I, I think they all, and I'm getting a bit ahead of myself with talking about that episode, but I think that all ties together. And and so when I watched these two episodes, I was like, oh, this is so great because the kids get the continuation of those stories and the themes just tie so well together. Yeah, they really do. They, they made all the Thomas stories blend really well with, with these two plots in particular, but really yeah. throughout all of season one, it's just, the blending is done so well and so seamlessly that, you know, it, it kind of makes you more excited. Even if you know the stories, uh, the Thomas stories, I should say, super well, it's it's still kind of like, oh, yay, we're going to this one now whenever <laughs> they introduce it on Shining Time, you know? Yes, which is a good sign showing that you're actually excited to see episodes that you've seen a million times. Um, and actually, yeah, interestingly, yeah. James learns a lesson or James uh, and the coaches was one of the first episodes that I remember seeing on VHS um, on, on that James Williams election tape. So it, it, I just have very early memories of watching that opening with Thomas and Edward and them steaming into the station, that really thick steam mm-hmm. and their faces and them taking off with the express. Yeah. Really ooh, delicious nostalgia there. Oh yeah. A lot of iconic shots in these episodes. For yes. Sure. Yes. And so moving on from the Thomas stories, we have a few little fun ones in here, um, uh, kind of other segments. So we have a magic bubble that is mm-hmm. string themed and kind of stop motion. What do you think of that little piece? I think it's a fun little piece. Yeah, it's cute. I got to say, it's it's yeah, it's it's one of those things. I feel like I don't have a lot to say about it, but it's no. just like, <laughs> you know, it's just a, a fun little break. It's. It doesn't feel like it's uh, necessarily stopping the flow of the Shining Time episode, um, but it, yeah, it's just it's just a fun little watch, and it's yeah. sort of a refresher. You get back That's to the it. station afterwards, and you're like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> I know. It's just a fun little vibe. <laughs> um, and then we have, as the jukebox song, we have Railroad Corral, which is yes, uh, one of harry's earworms in this episode and i have to say i have a soft spot for harry when he picks jukebox songs and this one when he's just like Mm -hmm. woke up with it in my head can't get it out again it feels so slice of life he's just in his workshop working comes out plays this song and i think it's beautifully beautifully done and beautifully sung by rory dodd Flapjacks and play 
While the herd is astir Over hillside and swale With the night riders rounding them into the trail Come take up your cinches Shake up your reins Come wake up Yes, one of one of many. I feel like there's never been a bad uh, Rory Dodd performance <laughs> on Shining Time, but uh, yeah, this is certainly one of the one of the earliest examples of just how how beautiful the songs can be when he graces it with that amazing voice of his. And I do think you know, I think sometimes I got bored with the slower songs as a kid, and that might be experienced for quite a few kids, but. Definitely, as I'm, uh, you know, now that I'm older, it's just so gen- gentle. It's almost like a lullaby. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very, uh, it's a very again. It, it goes well with the slice of life feel of the rest of the episode. Yep. I think if they had like a like an upbeat, rambunctious railroad song, you know, it might kind of disturb the flow a little bit. But it's a, it's just a very slow very easy sort of song and it meshes well with the entire rest mm-hmm. of the episode. I agree. And then we've got one other little segment. We've got a, a Lucky Lake passenger as the guest. Yes. Who's wearing I was just actually on a scuba diving trip I was chatting with Mike about it um, but she's wearing, <laughs> I love that she's actually wearing her mask <laughs> and yes. so when 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 she says, well she'll be arriving in 20 minutes and she's like 20 minutes <laughs> with that nasally <laughs> sort of noise from having her Oh, it's just sweet. She has a goldfish in a bowl. I mean, it's just it's cute. Yeah, I like I like that she's holding the the fish bowl with her scuba gear. It's like, what uh, are you going for a dive in the fish bowl or what's going on? <laughs> and she would get hot in that gear. She's even wearing her flippers. She would be tripping all over yeah. the train. Yeah, you know what? When I first watched this episode, I definitely, as soon as she came on screen, I was like, what purpose is this going to serve? And then as soon as she leaves and, and Schemer goes, you see, she doesn't have shoelaces. I know. <laughs> it's like, okay, it all blends together. <laughs> it's just more like kind of random fun, you know, but it's, oh man. It's, it's randomness that works. It is randomness that works. And I'm just trying to think of some, just going into some of the trivia here. One thing that I was discussing with Mike before was about the Tanya Lasagna comment that he makes here. And mm-hmm. I was just noting that that also appears in the season two, episode one uh, story, Scare Dares. And George Carlin's Mr. Conductor says, well, Tanya Lasagna and Matt the Hat. And he's never... Yeah, he doesn't really have a reason to call her Tiny Lasagna, except that Ringo did. And so my theory was that mm-hmm. at that point when they were drafting that episode, they didn't necessarily know that uh, Ringo wouldn't be continuing on as Mr. Conductor. And so when George joined, they just kind of kept it in and then and then went with the flow. But uh, given some little uh, cues in the script itself, uh, the draft that I have of Scared Dares, which is simply called Halloween doesn't include the transition at the beginning about Mr. Conductor's cousin coming to Shining Time Station, therefore introducing George. So anyway, feel free to come up with your own theories and, or, you know, you can poke holes in mine if you like, if, or, you know, if you support it, let me know, but you can have a look. If you go onto my Twitter, I put a link to all of the Shining Time Station and Thomas episode scripts and sometimes several drafts. So have a look through there. 
and and yeah make some of your own theories and guesses yes follow adrian you will have some some very good shining time goodies in due time this is not just a shameless plug for my twitter <laughs> it is not we promise. <laughs> we promise there's a purpose behind all of this oh man and one more thing i noticed too mike is that in this episode we get more lore around stacy's granny and she starts those sort of like my old granny used to say we do and i guess this would technically it's weird to think about this because we're just so used to hearing about her all the time but Mm -hmm. i guess this is the first mention of stacy's granny in the whole series well they she does mention her in the first episode Oh, that's right. That's right. And I noticed this was something that whoever's editing the wiki got slightly wrong. So she does say, like, in the days when my old granny used to run it. So she does mention it in passing. But you're you're right, Mike. This is the kind of first intentional moment where she kind of goes into those, like, my granny used to say. um, Right, right, right. Which we do get a lot of this season. We do. And I like it. It's sweet. And sometimes you can tell she's making it up. (laughs) Stacey's just Mm -hmm, kind of making mm -hmm. it up because... Ringo will say, your granny never said that. I think it's just charming, though. Any other thoughts for you on this episode, Mike? Uh, you know, I, I really don't have much else to say, and I, I know that uh, that might be disappointing to those of you who are hoping for something a little more critical, but uh, it's really just a you? nice episode. <laughs> you should have ripped it apart. What are you doing? Right? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to rip this one apart. It's just such a pleasant watch, and that is it's sweet. just, it's a nice little... Uh, little wind down sort of episode in my view absolutely and uh just before we move into ratings i have a little uh section that i want to add into our podcast reviews and that is kids activities because i know when they were creating season one they were very mindful of okay what are the activities that kids can do at home uh in this episode which i think is a great way to foster creativity so in this one, absolutely, it's very clear. We've already said it. It's about strings. So we've got, you know, Tanya doing Cat's Cradle, getting stuck, and Matt helping her out, and that being a lesson. We've got the beautiful string flowers uh, happening. We've got string being used to, for a sign, being used for shoelaces. Um, yeah, it's it's very multi-purpose. So there's a lot that kids could say, "Mom, do you have like a ball of yarn or something?" You know, I want to whatever. I, I think that's really fun. And then I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll see it, uh, of course, with the next episode, too. That's where it really stuck out to me for the first time. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's really fun how much the early seasons or the early episodes, I, I should say, really hone in on, you know, not just the goings on of the train station or the Thomas stories, but also like, hey, kids, here's something fun you can do at home if you've got <laughs> just a few things lying around, you know, <laughs> I love it. I love how you said, hey, kids, I love your <laughs> i think you should do a segment the very, the very truck says hey kids do you hey kids <laughs> oh man okay stay tuned for hey kids with mike uh and then just coming back to the morals i think just it tied in with that string sort of lesson where um matt helps tanya out of the cat's cradle we get the message that helping others is important and often can make you feel good to do that as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the main motivation to help somebody, but it can often make you feel good to help somebody. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Even if that somebody is Horace Schemer himself. <laughs> when it's, come on, it's Schemer. <laughs> Mike, what would you I give? Love the, Go ahead, sorry. I love the, kid, the kids have the awareness of that too. They're like, 
really do we really have to help schemer like most kids <laughs> would have like some innocence about them be like sure i'll help you but even even matt and tanya are hip to the fact that like really we have to help this guy out <laughs> they know they know they're too smart those kids they are mike what would you <laughs> give this episode out of 10 oh the eternal question uh i would give this episode i'm gonna give it a solid eight because that just feels very comfortable to me um yeah it's it's such a it's such a good all-around episode there's fantastic thomas stories there's nice happenings in the station uh i really love of course like i said the interaction between uh stacy and ringo um harry's excitement over the string is wonderful and of course the payoff at the end with schemer is uh is just incredible so yeah i i give it a very a very easy eight because it's just it's not one that i would immediately choose if someone was like hey put on a shining time station episode for me Mm -hmm. this wouldn't be the first one that comes to my mind but like if i see it if i see it recommended or you know if I see it's coming on next on the autoplay feature or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's watch this one. Yeah, that's no, it's a, that's a very respectable rating. And I, I as you're speaking, I'm like changing my rating in my head a little bit. But I <laughs> like I I don't know. Yeah, OK, I'm going to go uh, and be a bit of like a right on track annoying person and say that i'm gonna do an 8.75 here because i was torn between like i was gonna do a nine and i was gonna do 8.5 i'm gonna say 8.75 it's a very solid a for me i think it's nice uh, for all the reasons that we've already kind of covered uh great flow great integration of the thomas stories people are very comfortable in their characters the f- music flows well the segments flow well it just i really enjoy watching it i've seen it a hundred times and i still get joy out of it so that's mm-hmm. a good sign for me so yeah 8.75 it is a very respectable rating i appreciate <laughs> thank, it thank you very much apology i forget who is it who it is on the right on track team that hates those point zero zero nine two five kind of ratings but <laughs> sometimes you just gotta do it yeah i would and when in doubt blame connor jonas yes okay we'll blame you connor we love you but it's your fault connor we we love you but yes it's your fault for the uh for the stickler ratings that we're implementing here oh man hi i'm mike o'donnell one of the composers of the original thomas the tank engine theme and i'm here to tell you that i have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called the engine themes These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. All right, so we are moving into episode five, which is titled Show and Yell. Yes, indeed. 
Yes. Mike, would you like to give us a little summary of this delightful nugget of an episode? I certainly would love to, my friend. We open this episode with uh, a very jovial sort of intro. We've got everyone in the station saying hello to each other, uh, only for some strange voices to pipe in and say hello to Matt and Tanya. Well, hello, Tanya. Howdy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi there, Tanya. Hi, Grandpa. Hello, Harry. Hi there, Schemer. Hi there, Schemer. Hi there, Schemer. Hello, Money. Hello, Money. Hello, Matt. Hello, Tanya. Hello? They discover it is a passenger who happens to be a ventriloquist slash puppeteer, however you want to term it. Uh, and he shows them uh, the puppets that he has and gives them a little performance uh, showing the wonders of what he can do with, with his little puppet friends. And, of course, it inspires Matt and Tanya to try it themselves while the passenger runs into town. Uh, and they try to put on a little show like what they have seen the puppeteer do. It does not go well. They have not practiced. <laughs> uh, they... <laughs> uh, wow. they uh, they they flub it a little bit there and get some uh, some rather honest feedback from our good pal schemer of course which is a great motivator. You're both terrible. Uh, this of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I loved about your show? It was free. <laughs> That's I love those lines. He's so good. So good. Um, of course, the kids uh, start to bicker with each other a little bit. They blame each other for the show going awry. Uh, they get some guidance from Stacy and Harry. Uh, eventually, they put their differences aside with some new puppets that they have made. And they go on to practice a little bit more to the delight of everyone and put on an amazing show. Uh, and the episode ends on a, a very happy note. Lovely. Couldn't have put it better it's myself. Great. <laughs> it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And, uh, you know, I got to say... I I really love that uh, we got some integration of people who worked on the show but were more behind the scenes because, for those who don't know, uh, the passenger is played by Alan Seamock, uh, who was a member of the Flexitune Puppeteers. Yeah, and uh, I think it was was he only uh, Texas speaking voice starting with "Tis a gift," something like that. I can't totally recall it right now. I think, but yeah, because I think he, it, he, someone he, else voiced him. In yes, yeah, uh, it was uh, the set designer Wayne White. That's who Wayne it was. White. Thank you, Wayne White. Yeah, yes. he he voiced Tex, I believe, in yeah. season one, and then yeah, I think it switched to Alan Seamock, and then Alan worked with the puppet gang for the whole run of the show. Yeah, he did. He performed specifically uh, Tex, obviously, because he voiced him as well, and he also did uh, Grace the Bass yes our, one of our favorites oh, uh we'll, we'll give it up for alan alan sadly passed away in 2019 but we thank him for his contributions to the series as a whole wonderful contributions yes he was very beloved by the flexitune crew um i've heard craig and olga talk about him very fondly and 
I, it's neat that he uses his real name when he says, my name's Al. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And you know what? I can, I can understand uh, Craig and Olga's testimonies because he comes off as very warm and very friendly yes. in this episode. Yeah, he's a great guy. And he's kind of what stands out in this episode to me. I have a little tidbit to share. So this Ooh. episode prompted me to reach out to Alan when he was still alive. And mm-hmm. it was in the late 90s, a little, you know, teenage Adrian sent an email out <laughs> into the world. And Alan wrote back, which was so <gasps> nice. That's um, really nice. I wish I still had the email. I don't anymore. I remember I tried to find it, but it's way, way lost. It was so long ago. I think it must have been maybe 11, 10, 11, something like that. And I wrote to him and asked him if he was the same person that voiced uh, Tex and... Uh, he wrote back and said yes, and I asked him, I think, if there were any other plans to release any other Shining Time specials and or Shining Time episodes. He says not that he's aware of. And then he signed it, Tex, <laughs> which was so sweet. Oh. Um, and then I was like, I was overjoyed getting this message. Couldn't believe it. And then I wrote him like this huge message back, which was probably, you know, when you get a little bit and then you just write a whole bunch and then... He didn't reply to that one, sadly. <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah. But I hey, that's I probably that's came off a little sweet. too strong, but yeah. It was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a nice exchange. He was a kind guy, and he did, I think he kept puppeteering. And he was very well known for his ventriloquist act acts. And apparently these uh, two dummies, was it Samuel and Eugene, I think? Wasn't one of them named, I thought one was named like Laszlo or something. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Laszlo and Eugene. Right? Pardon me. Yep. Yeah. You're cr- yeah. correct. That's absolutely it. Laszlo, Laszlo and Eugene were the name of his dummies that he went on the road with. So these oh, are. Oh, is that so? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I, when I um, brought it up with Craig, he said Laszlo and Eugene. So these were two very well-known characters of his. Which is kind of an interesting fact. It wasn't just, you know, part of the Shining Time lore. And I imagine when they're looking for guest stars, I don't know if Alan expressed interest or how that happened, but I think it worked really well. And the kids playing with the dummies. I did think it was a bit odd, though, how he's like, can you watch my bags? And then they're like, can we play with your your puppets? And he's like, sure, Matt, Tanya. I'm like, I wouldn't leave my bags and my like amazing, like beautiful <laughs> ventriloquist dummies with two random kids at a train station. Like that's where, <laughs> maybe that's just like my anal retentiveness. But... Hey, listen, Adrian, the world of Shining Time is a very trusting one. <laughs> Apparently, I, I was like, what if those kids just like rifled through his luggage and broke his ventriloquist dummies that he's like spent his life savings on? And... Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I digress. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, tangent. But... Hey, it's true. It, listen, kids, in real life, please do not trust your belongings to a stranger at a train station because I can't guarantee it will play out exactly like it does in this episode. And also, if this was an airport, this episode would have played out a lot differently. Oh, Just don't saying. even get me started on that. <laughs> oh, that's very, very, that would be a very dark turn. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, Mike, what are the... <laughs> What are the standout moments in this episode for you? Well, you know, there's a lot of them. Um, I I particularly like the journey that Matt and Tanya go on with. You know, they try to do the puppet show as they've seen it. It doesn't go well. But then they have a little redemption at the end of the episode. And I think it's a really important lesson for kids to learn that, 
you know, it's okay to fumble. It's okay to not get it right the first time. Yeah. Everything takes practice. You just got to keep working at it. And, you know, it's uh, there are a lot of kids who do grow up with those perfectionist tendencies and, you know, they they always have to be 100% and everything has to be right the first time. That but, was me. You know, yeah, yeah, you know what? That's me. That's still me <laughs> to this day in, in, in a way. But, you know, it's it's good to have these reminders of like, you know what? Not everything is going to be a slam dunk. You sometimes you got to miss, yeah. and uh, it's it's when you have those misses that you learn what you need to do to correct it, so you don't have misses anymore. So it's it, true. It, it, it's a very important thing, and I like the way that they wrote the journey. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny that I, I'd never really thought about this before, but it's funny how when they're trying to perform with the the fancy, expensive, you know, ventriloquist dolls. Mm-hmm. everything kind of goes belly up but yep. it's only after harry and stacy help them make their own little puppets then they find their own groove too that's a really interesting point almost like it's more of an extension of themselves and it maybe comes more naturally yeah. it, it, it's kind of a metaphor for like you know we think about the first time that they're trying to do their little show they're yeah. just trying to copy what al did exactly but then, when they get their new puppets they make up their own little things and it's like okay well Maybe that's another little moral is don't try and, you know, copy what someone else has done. Yeah. Make it your own thing. Do your own little unique spin and, you know, things will work out a little bit better for you. Yeah, totally. And I think the themes are pretty nuanced as well. You know, at the beginning, we sort of get the theme, you know, when Mr. Conductor's coming in and they're playing with the puppets and Mm -hmm. he asks Tanya, can you say a bag of boots without moving your lips? And he's like, you're not trying. And he sort of says, well, you got to give it a go. Like, don't just say you can't do it. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, don't give it a go so hard without preparing. You know, if you're going to perform for people, that's another thing. So it it says, you know, don't be afraid to give it a try, but also, yeah, if you're going to do a performance, then prep for it. So it's there, you know, it's important messages, but in different directions, interestingly. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And the the one thing that sticks out to me, and I'm sure you'll bring this up in, in the last segment when we talk about this, but um, I really love that, you know, the, when Matt's talking to Harry and he says, well, we won't have time to practice because the man's coming back for his, his puppets. And Harry goes, oh, is that the problem? And then they start, <laughs> you know, making their own little little hand puppets and all that and then you see stacy making the the sock puppet with tanya and i don't know i just there's i just think that's really sweet that it's like it's really you know phoning home to kids at home too that like yeah you don't need the most fancy the most expensive thing in order to have fun and do something creative you know all it takes is an idea that's it and i will say little adrian made a sock puppet from this episode It was a red sock. Oh man. And it had two little embroidered patterns that were stuck on for eyes and then I forget what its mouth was. Or maybe that was its mouth and it had two button eyes. But I can guarantee you it was because of this episode. You know what? I think we should try and we need to put out a, a public message to anyone who made a sock puppet because of this episode in particular. Uh, I want to start a focus group. We got to see those sock puppets, guys. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. And it's such a great thing to have kids do because, my God, parents doing laundry, socks are going to get lost. And, like, you're going to have those, like, two, three poor, sad, spare socks. What better exactly. thing to do than make, you know, two or three different puppets to put on a show with your friends? I loved 
I loved doing that kind of stuff when I was a kid and I would rush into it. I remember I'd be like, watch us, watch us. And we'd, you know, just do this like random stuff, but, um, just completely blow it. <laughs> yeah. Right. We wouldn't even care. <laughs> we'd just be dancing around, but this, that segment that you're describing with the music and the creation of the puppets and also uh, Stacy comforting Tanya, I will cry mm-hmm. every single time I watch that segment. There is something about the music and something about, the connection between Stacy and Tanya and Harry and Matt that is just mm-hmm. really sweet and playful. And uh, interestingly, I also I sent that little segment to Nicole Rochelle, uh, who played Tanya recently, because I just was using I, I was speaking about that example in my podcast, but didn't have it for mm-hmm. them. And I sent it to her and she's like, oh, that is so touching. Thank you so much. Um hmm. So, yeah, that holds a special place in my heart. I just wanted to add that in. Yeah, that's a beautiful little segment. Like, the the music is very impactful. And I also like that they made it so that it was Matt and Harry and Tanya and Stacy rather mm-hmm. than, you know, sticking with them just going to their familial connection. It really helps to enforce that, like, the whole station is a family. You know, it, it's not down to just your blood relation. It's everybody is, is a Uh, one big family at the station they are and you know i noticed in particular when i was watching it tanya did a great job at being bummed out Mm -hmm. it was very well acted especially like i noticed not only in that scene but also when they're really bummed after their first show is a total failure and then Mm -hmm. she says like there's not gonna be a next time like her whole like (laughs) you can only see her lips you can't see her whole face but she really embodied that disappointment quite well. These, you know, these kids did really well. I think I'd like to give them credit. Um, yeah. Yeah, they really did. And they're fight. Like even when they're fighting, it's really believable. I think they, I think they were very well cast, uh, as, as a pair, they function re- very well together. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they, they really come into their own as the series goes on. And, uh, yeah. here is, is a great example of that. They, they really slip into the roles and, they embody what I think most kids in their position would feel. So yeah. yeah, kudos to them. I agree. What do you think just on the subject of Harry, while we're talking about him, what do you think mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. whole Isaac drips, uh, John bull story? Oh man. I love that whole segment. I think it's, <sighs> it, it's great as a little railroad history segment in its own right. Yeah. Um, but I also just love, uh, Harry's, Harry's storytelling and, you know, Leonard Jackson has such a great voice for telling these kind of, you know, early stage America stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's fun. It's such a great little it ties in perfectly to the whole theme of the episode, of it course. Um, and it, it retains the the train element that we're used to with this show. But, yeah, it's just a fun little break. It's a it's a history lesson and it's a teachable yeah. moment all in one. I live for that segment. I know the whole thing off by heart. And it just, oh, it just is delicious to listen to him. It's so fun. Talking about it. Yeah, it's the visuals I enjoyed as a kid, too. And just his narration and and then, you know, Matt coming in and asking some questions at the end. And when he just said, you didn't give up when things went wrong and neither should you. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel cheesy. I don't know why. I just, I, I think maybe because like you said, it just flows. 
with the episode well. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, when I first watched this episode, I, I had no knowledge of the John Bull. I didn't know what it oh. was. So to have this as an introduction, I feel very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And also, he says, you know, it's at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington. It's an invite for kids to go with their families and check out this engine. So it's a, there's, there's a way that Shining Time Station makes kids engage with the world that I think is really special. Because it, it, yeah, it doesn't just only like tell you about these things, but it says, go look at this yourself or go make this yourself. I think it helped me to be more outgoing as a kid. And I think that was a really, that was a, that's a really great hallmark of good children's television. I agree. Yeah. It should make you want to, you know, not just sit in the confines of your home. It should make <laughs> you want to go out and explore and, <laughs> and see the world. Right. Because right. like you might watch a couple episodes and then do something. You're not just going to stay watching Shining Time all day long. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I, I commend the show for that. I do, too. Really, really wonderful stuff on their part. What do you think of the kind of concluding James stories in, in the set? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, um, <laughs> first of all, again, integrated wonderfully into the, uh, the Shining Time plot, mm-hmm. uh, especially the way that the first story, uh, Troublesome Trucks slash Foolish Freight Cars, is integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just works really well. It's, it's about not giving up. Um, it's a very triumphant moment for James. I will say, and I, I think a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I think the next story, uh, James and the Express or A Proud Day for James, mm-hmm. uh, it's my favorite of that first batch of James stories. I think it's such a triumphant story. I really um, enjoy it too. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the, the dynamic that James and Gordon have where, yeah. you know, it starts off very adversarial and and gordon is obviously the bigger engine putting down the smaller one but by the end they they make a point to let you know that like now they're good friends they've come around to each other and uh you know it's a very a very triumphant end for james's introduction and uh again it's just it's really well integrated that you know as the kids are having their their redemption moment here we are so is james it's it's a beautiful episode and uh yeah i don't know this this is definitely one of my favorites from the first series of thomas and and even in the railway series i mean it's not the best book that wilbert ever wrote but Mm -hmm. even this little story is just it's a great moment it's a great early establishing moment of victory I agree. I always liked it when it came on and I enjoy the more slow moving stories in season one and Mm -hmm. just kind of, it's well paced. And I like, um, I love the scene with Gordon just slinking into the station and then James (laughs) saying, is it tomorrow? (laughs) It's just, I find that very comical. So when people are sort of like, oh, nothing happens. I, I'm just like, uh, back off haters. I also lament the fact that we never saw, uh, James and the Express again on Shining Time Station because they really missed an opportunity not using George Carlin's narration because I absolutely love when he does James after Gordon comes back when he gets turned around because he gives him the most annoying voice. He goes like, hello, Gordon. Is it tomorrow? (laughs) It's like (laughs) the sassiest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Snap, snap. 
exactly maybe it was instinct it's like oh my god dial it back george what are you doing oh my god i haven't i don't think i've heard the george version oh if you haven't heard george's version anyone please go do yourself a favor give it a listen that moment is worth it entirely worth it hello gordon is it tomorrow gordon didn't answer he just let off steam feebly did you lose your way, Gordon? No, it was lost for me. I was switched off the main line onto the loop. I had to go all round and back again. Perhaps it was instinct, said James. Oh, my God. You know, another thing I love about this episode is Bounce Back. That mm-hmm. song is so damn catchy. I, like, that is another earworm for me that I, I love Venice, but I also just love the sort of No, I really love it. such a groovy song it's very groovy i wrote it is a it is such a bop in all caps it is a bop (laughs) (laughs) bounce back and we have the return of our of our stop motion that we love so much yes and he's making like this chocolate breakfast drink yeah i mean who doesn't have a chocolate drink for breakfast it takes me right back to the age of nesquik in the 90s I never had Nesquik, but I remember the commercials. My parents wouldn't once, buy it for me. And I'm me. not going to lie to you, it was awful. Was it disgusting? Yeah. Yeah, even as a kid, I was like, mm, this doesn't really do it for me. Just to loop around to to the last uh, kind of segment that we see, which is the song, the jukebox song in this episode, which is Freight Train. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on that song, Mike? I like this a lot. I like the whole jukebox interaction because... Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's any other episodes in the entire series that do this, but uh, Tito is absent. He yeah, is not I don't think that ever happens this. again. I think this is the only time that we see an instance where not all five of the uh, the jukebox puppets are together. Yeah, I wonder if it was it's a scheduling crazy. conflict or something. It's odd. Listen, he's got a lot of nickels to count. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot of behind the scenes... Bean counting. Yeah, he's, so. he's stuck in the vault just like 5, 10, 15, 20. <laughs> <laughs> this is before they had a proper manager. Tito was pulling double duty. So Yeah, that's it. That's um, it. He needed a break. Yeah, yeah. But again, it, I think it ties in well with the overall theme of the episode is that, you know, the rest of the band has to learn how to get on without their band leader. And mm-hmm. they finally make it happen in the end. And yeah, it's... Um, it, it's a wonderful little song. It's it's not too fast. It's not too slow. It's yeah. just very, very easy to go along. And uh, I think, if, unless I'm remembering my jukebox songs incorrectly, I think we get 
to hear Freight Train again in one of the family specials. Oh, interesting. I don't know them as well, but you very well could be right. I'm pretty sure. I think it might be in, uh, I want to say, I think it might be during Second Chances. Uh, cool. I think there's a there's a montage with, uh, you know, Kit and some of the other kids playing baseball. And oh. I'm pretty sure uh, it's in like a medley of, of other songs. But um, at that point, sung by Benice Thomas. In this instance, in this episode, sung by our one and only Rory Dodd. Oh, a classic. Um, I'm just checking out. Yeah, it does have a medley. I bet it's down there. But, but, in, but it's in that that medley. It, it's very brief, but I'm pretty sure it does pop up again. Yeah, that's wicked. I love this song. This rendition is really fun because I think it suits the end of the episode as like a very celebratory, you know, kids have done their puppet show really well. Um, much the celebration of, you know, all the adults on, in the station. And um, it's just a really nice send off for Al as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to say it's also a favorite song of mine in general. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Elizabeth Cotton. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And uh, who wrote the song and who is very well known for her unique style of guitar playing. And I'd encourage you guys to look up Freight Train by Elizabeth Cotton. And it has actually a video of her uh, singing and playing. And it is so moving. And I legit am saying this. I want this song played at my funeral. Like, and her <laughs> rendition, because it is such... Oh, it just goes right into my bones. That that to me sums up what my connection to trains feels like in that song. But that particular version, the slow kind of oh yeah. I, I just can't I know I, can't. I know exactly what video you're talking about of Elizabeth Do Cotton you? too, and I every time I see it, I am totally mesmerized by her guitar playing. Oh, she is wicked talented. And also it's just unreal. S- seeing her face, she like all these lines and all this experience and and her voice just tells a story. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I'd, I'd be really curious to learn more about her life as well. Yes, absolutely. And and you know, I, I like I like the show for that too cuz it's encouraging kids to go look up and you know, especially, you know, prominent black musicians. Mm-hmm. Really important. And with it being Black History Month as well. Absolutely. In terms of trivia, I know you mentioned No Tito, which was on my list as well. Another little trivia for those who like behind-the-scenes stuff. If you pay really close attention when Matt is very sadly inserting the coin into the jukebox, you get the closest shot of the song titles on the title board of the jukebox, and you can make out some of them, um, which is interesting because they were actually written down. a lot. Some of them say unavailable. But I think there's like she'll be coming around the mountain freight train. There's a few others. They looks like the, the, the sculptor who made the jukebox just put some random train songs on there. And then cool. with several of the songs being unavailable. But I just I noticed that when I was doing my jukebox research, because it really zooms right in on him. It's a very close, uh, extreme close up. Well, there we are. That's perfect. Yeah. The, the details that you wouldn't normally see but they still put on there anyway and yeah we see all the kids activities with the you know the puppet show and the making puppets um and i think we've kind of gone over most of the morals here um you know if at first you don't succeed try again don't be afraid to try something new 
those old chestnuts. Mm-hmm. The tried and true. Anything to add, Mike? Uh, I think we've I think we've hit the nail on the head. It's just there's there's a lot of important episodes or uh, morals I should say in this episode, uh, yes. and yeah, they they do a great job of not making it feel too on the nose. It's it's very yeah easily easily digestible and and you can pretty much draw your own conclusions of it without being uh you know without having being to be spelled out for you essentially yeah totally what would you give this episode ratings wise i think i'm going to give this one an 8 as well um nice. it's a it's another comfy episode for me i really like the way that it all plays out i really like you know the interaction with alan Seamock and the kids learning such a vital lesson and the integration of the Thomas stories is fantastic. So mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a very, again, it's not necessarily my first choice if I'm going to put on something from season one of the show, yeah. but when it comes up, I'm, I'm very happy to sit down and watch it for sure. Yeah, definitely. I would give this one an 8.5. Um, I really, I really enjoy it for the reasons that I've already stated, especially that, lovely instrumental segment where the kids are making the puppets with the adults i find that very touching uh i enjoy the music the guest star is great good thomas stories good acting um i feel that compared to the previous episode the thomas story segues are not quite as strong they're still great but not quite as seamless so that's why i'm giving Mm -hmm. it a 0.25 less than the previous rating (laughs) uh just the little things uh and yeah i think uh i think that kind of sums it up it's a it's a great episode actually a great title i will say love that title show and yell mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i love was a good very pun. clever I... <laughs> you don't say <laughs> me puns never no way <laughs> <clears throat> not on this podcast Never. Never. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ken Bianco Jr. from Train World, where we have the greatest selection of model trains and train sets. We also are proud to carry Bachman's full line of Thomas & Friends products. With a large variety of different brands and scales, we have the best items for your model train collection. You can find Train World on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can see our latest products and even be invited to all our events like Thomas Tuesdays. Visit TrainWorld.com today to find your next addition to your model railroad journey. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I believe it does. Once again, we, we have you wrapped say, up Mike? another successful recap of a beautiful show that means so much to us. Oh, it really does. And it makes it really warms our hearts that you join us for our little our little adventures into the Shining Time verse. Yes, it, it means a lot that you uh, that you join us for these travels that we go on. And we are so thankful for your continued listenership and and any comments that you leave, it means a lot to us. It really does. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to our listeners. And also a big thank you to all the behind-the-scenes folks. I want to say a special thank you to Tom Denham for reaching out to Mike and I to do this podcast in the first place. And a big thank you to our sound editor, Fred. He works 
tirelessly at editing and inserting the music and the sound clips. So thank you so much to both you guys. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. We love you so much. We do love you. And tune in to our next episode, which will be episode eight, and where we'll be reviewing uh, episodes seven and eight of season one. We've already done Faith, Hope, and Anxiety, which is episode six. So please go back to our first episode for a review of that we will be reviewing agree to disagree and whistle while you work wow that's a lot of w's <laughs> whistle really and maybe picking that one up isn't it <laughs> i know i was thinking like it's like the stewie thing where he's like what does he say what, what, what do you remember stewie says something that's oh, like oh uh, wait cool whip cool whip i just i, I just want to get some cool whip <laughs> and it's like whistle while you work anyway <laughs> i greatly apologize um for my horrible horrible stewie impression but we will introduce it as such when we when we talk about it on the next episode we absolutely will um well until <laughs> next time i have been adrian i have been mike and this has been time to shine thanks everyone see you later take care everybody bye bye, bye.